0: If you would open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, If you've got your phone in front of you, access the Bible on on your phone Philippians chapter 4. And if you say, That sounds familiar, didn't we do that last Sunday? We did, (laughs) we did. There's so much of the fruit of the Spirit packed into this passage, and again. We have an Emmaus family that's made a video, and we're going to watch that in just a minute. They're going to read Scripture for us and share a little bit about God's work and and their life as well. So we'll watch that together here in just a moment. Quick reminder to the kids, 6th grade and younger, and those of you that are watching uh, at home who are 6th grade and younger, if you memorize the fruit of the Spirit and come and tell me, I've got a little uh, goodie bag to give you. Some of you surprised me last week and already knew it last week, so uh, come and find me afterward and we'll get that little, that little bag to you. Those of you at home who made videos of your kids saying the uh, fruit of the Spirit, I've got some visits to make this week. I'll get those things by to, uh, to your kids, so we got that coming up kids next week. We get Sunday School restarted, Elevate Children's Church restarted. We're really, really excited about that opportunity. Uh, What I want you to do right now, Philippians chapter 4, listen to uh, Brian and Karen Leib as they read scripture for us and also share a little bit about God's work in their life. Let's watch this video together.
1: Good morning, Emmaus. This is Brian and Karen Lieb, and it is our privilege to get to share a few things with you this morning. To start off, Karen's going to read uh, a passage from, from, uh, uh, from the Bible that, that Owen's going to preach on uh, this morning. So anyway, I'll turn it over to her. All
2: right. This is Philippians 4, 4 through 9, right? right. Okay. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. or heard from me or seen in me put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you
1: it's, there's been some crazy things happening we've all been impacted in a variety of ways whether it's personally professionally physically and health wise um, spiritually emotionally politically socially whatever the case may be we've all been impacted in a number of ways and at times it felt like for most of us that things were kind of spitting out of control that it was things were chaotic um, and that we just didn't have a handle on it, that any one of those things may be taken individually. We could have, maybe we could have handled fairly easily, but taken together, it just felt, it's felt very chaotic, at least for me it has over the last 10 to 12 months. But what God pointed me to was, was verse 7, uh, again, a verse that most of us are very familiar with that talks about the peace that Surpasses understanding, but the piece that I'd missed on this I mean, and I knew this piece was coming from God, but it wasn't just referring to a piece from God, it was actually referring to God's peace the same peace that, that He provided to the heroes of the Bible, like Daniel, to Joseph, to Paul, and more importantly, the same peace he, pro- he provided to Jesus, the same peace Jesus experienced when He hung on the cross, the same peace um, that calmed Him when he was falsely accused, the same peace that steadied his voice and his thoughts when he spoke to Pilate, uh, and the same peace that kept his heart pure as he hung on the cross. And that's a gift and and something that we can't take for granted as Christians, that we have access to that kind of peace, God's peace, the same peace that Jesus had. It's a peace that defies logic, uh, it defies our efforts to explain it, and it even defies the forces of the world around us. And so that was, I don't know why I never picked up on the fact that this is the exact same piece Jesus had. I have access to that piece, and that's, that was very comforting for me. Thanks for letting us share. Karen wants to share a little bit about um, the kitchen and, and Wednesday night meals uh, resuming here pretty quickly. So I'll turn that over to her.
2: Um, I'm excited to say that we are starting back our Wednesday night meals on February 3rd. Um, we're going to start back with Carol Noble's brisket and that is always a huge hit so um, we're excited to be back in the kitchen I can think I speak for the whole team when I say that Uh, we're excited to be cooking again rather than having food catered in Um, what we need you guys to do is to sign up Uh, let us know if you want to come and and join us for dinner everybody's invited Uh, you can do that in several ways you can Uh, sign up online and also pay online, prepay for your meal, which is actually really helpful. You can sign up in your Sunday school class. Every Sunday school box has um, a sign-up list if the teachers or directors will just pull that out and pass it around. That's helpful. Um, Or you can just call the church office and tell them that you want to be signed up for the Wednesday night meal. Uh, If you could do that by Monday afternoon, that lets us get a good head count. Um, We try to be good stewards of God's money and try to keep the food waste down as little as possible. So um, if you sign up, um, you know, show up, or if you want to show up, sign up. Um, I, th- I think that's all I have. Oh, it's from five to six every Wednesday night. Okay.
1: So on one final note, if you've heard a chicken in the background, that wasn't your your mind <laughs> playing games with you. Um, Karen, since so when we moved in the country about ten years ago, Karen always wanted chickens, and I was like, we don't need chickens. There's no way we're getting chickens. Well, as you can see, around the time the pandemic started, I finally caved in and we got chickens. We
2: compromised and we got chickens. Okay,
1: so let's go with compromise. But we've got these chickens now. Karen refers to them as free-range chickens, which means they spend most of their time on our back porch. And you can imagine the mess on our back porch as a result. Um, But... um, they uh she refers to them as free range, I refer to them as free loaders. Um I think it's probably one and the same. But anyway, my thought is we've got the vaccine now. The pandemic may be getting close to coming to an end, and I'm thinking maybe we don't need chickens anymore, right? I mean, um so Wednesday night meals starting up, and I'm thinking everybody likes fried chicken, so maybe we could have fried chicken.
2: Not with my chickens.
1: Grilled chicken? And no chicken fingers.
2: Uh, No.
1: So we can't have fried chicken on Wednesday nights?
2: Well, we can um, buy it from a store and have fried chicken, but not from these girls.
1: Okay. Well, fair enough. I guess we're going to keep chickens, but uh, anyway, but we will get fried chicken probably. So (laughs) anyway, uh, we love you guys. We miss you all. We look forward to getting together on a regular basis very soon, and I hope you guys have a great day. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Oh, those poor chickens. Like, I'm sure that's good for a marriage right there. COVID and adding chickens to the house and all the all the things involved in that. So, hey, as we think about peace this morning, I want us to remember that the word peace in the Bible, and when you connect back to the old testament especially, is connected to a word shalom. A word for greeting. Now, I don't know how you normally greet one another. All of us have probably had adults in our lives who, when we said hey to someone, they said hey is for horses. We say hello or hi, or we like we don't greet one another with hey. There's there's the always mature sup. Like what's what's going on, you know, when you when you greet greet someone one, and then when you're trying to end a conversation, you know, do you say bye or the double bye-bye, or you know, how, how do you end a conversation with someone, there's always the option where you just say peace, just peace out. Funny enough, peace out is probably the most biblical of, of all the options. Uh, when you think about that word shalom that was used in the ancient world to greet someone, or even a word you would say as you were ending a conversation, probably the closest connection we have is to the word aloha. In the Hawaiian culture, the idea of aloha is not only a greeting and a way to end a conversation, it's also a word that means harmony and love and compassion. It brings all these ideas together, and it connects us to that biblical idea of shalom, peace. This morning, we're going to be looking across God's word about how God makes it possible for us to have peace with him Peace with ourselves and peace with others. So, if you're the note taking type and you're trying to provide a little structure for what we're doing this morning, we are going to be talking about peace with God, peace with self. And peace with others, and we're going to take a big, big, broad scope of scripture in doing that. In order to get us started, though, I want us to watch another quick video. This video is only three minutes long, but this video overviews the concept of peace in the Bible, and it comes from a group called the Bible Project. If you've ever watched any of those sketch introductions to scripture, where they will give an entire overview of a book of Bible, book of the Bible, and they sketch it out and talk about the theology of the book. I just think the world of The Bible Project and the work that they do and what they provided on YouTube, they also do different theology videos as well. They have a great podcast as well. Watch this video from The Bible Project. It's three minutes long, and it gives you an overview of peace. After the video,
3: we're going to get straight into Scripture and talk about that peace that we have with God. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of Shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of Shalom. And his reign would bring Shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of Shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that has been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Eirene. Remember, that is the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So we know, we know
0: this personally, we know this when we watch the news, we know this just from living life day to day, we live in a world that is desperate for peace. And we also know that true peace only comes from God through Jesus Christ. The challenge that we face in our world is we live in a world that wants peace but doesn't want the God who can give that peace, that peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Just referenced before in that video was Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, probably the most famous verses about this concept of peace. We have been justified by faith, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is this so important? The reason this is important is because in the Old Testament, you find the prophets getting upset that certain people were coming and saying, oh, don't worry, we have peace, everything's okay, when in fact, there wasn't actually peace. You find this especially in the prophet Jeremiah, who he says, peace, peace, there's no peace here. Why? Because people wanted peace, and they wanted to hold on to their sin, and they wanted to hold on to the rebellion against God. The danger that we face in the world today is that someone would think that they could have peace with God without having faith in Jesus Christ. Some people operate with an idea that me and God, we have our thing worked out and we're okay, and I have peace through all these. Friends, the only way that we have true peace is because what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That is the way that we are able to have peace. Now the other side of that coin is that some people can never find peace with God. They try and they try and they try and they attend every religious service imaginable and they try to do every good thing imaginable and they work and they work and they work and And depending upon the religious background that you grew up in or where you came from, this idea of just constantly feeling like I want peace with God and no matter how much I do, I can never find that peace. Why? Why? Because that's never how we were meant to find that peace. How do we find peace here? It says we have been justified by faith. The incredible part of the Christian message is the way that we find true peace with God is when we trust in what God has done for us. And this just just goes against everything that we would imagine to be the case. Like, I have to earn my peace with God. I have to do this. No. We have peace because Jesus overcame our sin and our death. He overcame the shame and the guilt and the fear that drives away peace. And he brought peace through the cross and the resurrection. So let me just say directly as I can as we start off this morning, if you find yourself regularly battling for peace and not having peace with God, can I remind you of something really simple? Peace with God comes through Jesus Christ when we put our faith in him. That is where we find that peace. And as we experience that peace, that peace of salvation, that peace of God's grace in our life, what we find is we are able to grow in that peace. And you can find verses like this from Jesus in the Gospel of John. As Jesus is preparing to to go away and he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he says in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he says in chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is that incredible picture that true peace is not based on our circumstances, True peace is not temporary. True peace comes from God because Jesus has overcome the world. And I love that reality check down here at the bottom. Oh, my spacing got off. Sorry about that. In the world, you will have trouble. It's not saying you might have trouble. Trouble should not surprise us. In the world, you will have trouble. We will run into these things. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So before we talk about the peace that happens within our life, Before we talk about having peace with other people, you have to set the foundation that true peace comes from God. True peace is found when we have faith in Jesus Christ. That is the peace with God, that without that, we can never truly have peace within ourselves and with other people. Now, here's the second part of this, and this gets closer to what we talk about in the fruit of the Spirit. I have peace with God, but I also, because of that peace, I'm able to have peace with myself And and we might even say it, have peace within myself. And this takes us back to Philippians chapter 4. This is where we get back to the fruit of the Spirit. This is where we get back to what Brian and Karen were reading for us earlier. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the word anxious is interesting in the Bible because it has a positive element and a negative element. So, the word anxious is, can be a good thing. It means you're concerned about people. <laughs> so, when you see the word anxious, don't immediately think it's something negative. It, anxious can mean good, like, hey, I'm concerned about you. I care about what's going on. But in this situation, it's the negative side of anxious, which means to be completely overwhelmed with the cares of this world. This is the type of anxiety that takes me away from focusing on God, and it just overwhelms my life. And notice here, the command is, do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. Just like last week, we saw that rejoice in the Lord is a command, so it's not based on our circumstances or our personality or our mood. You're like, it's not fair. That other person is just more peaceful than I am. No, no, this is a command. Do not be anxious about anything. Nothing falls outside the bounds of this. That whatever is going on, we are not called to be overwhelmed with that anxiety. We we are call, called to look to the Lord. And there's something very particular that's happening with this command: do not be anxious. The way the language works here in Greek is it's stop doing what you're already doing. So Paul is speaking or writing to the Philippians, and he's saying, stop being overwhelmed with anxiety. You're losing your focus. You're forgetting what God has done in your life. Stop allowing these circumstances to overwhelm and control your life. Because we know how anxiety works, right? It just multiplies upon itself. The more we're anxious, and then the more people tell you to stop being anxious, and the more people tell you to calm down, and the more you think about being anxious, you just get more anxious. And it just has this way of building on itself. And Paul says, stop being anxious. About anything. Do not be anxious. How? How do you get to that point? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The way to peace is found here first. We're gonna walk through several steps, but from the very beginning, it is about prayer and praise. God, I'm an anxious person. I'm struggling with the sin of anxiety. My life is overwhelmed with the cares of the world. I do not know how I'm going to go in. Where do I turn first? Prayer and praise. Prayer, God, I trust you. I submit to you. I cast all my anxieties on you because you care for me. That great verse out of 1 Peter chapter 5. Cast all my anxieties on you. You care for me. I pray. I trust, I put this in your hands, and I praise you. I do it with thanksgiving, not begrudgingly. It is a prayer of praise of, God, I thank you for your goodness and your salvation and your hope, and I, and I choose to trust you. And the reason this is so important is because prayer and praise deal with our hearts, deal with what we love. We're going to th- talk in a second about our mind, what we think about but before we get to what we think about, we have to deal with what we love, what we want in life, what our heart is doing. And those things are directed by prayer and praise. Where do we turn when things go wrong, and who do we give thanks to when things are going really well? One, one word that sometimes gets lost in, in these verses, but I want to point out to you this morning, is the word guard here in verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reason that word is so interesting to study in this particular verse is it is a particular military word. And Paul is writing to Philippi here, writing to the Philippians, and remember, they are living under the Roman Empire. And so the people that Paul is writing to, they would have been used to all of these Roman military figures around them at, at, at all times. And... At this time, there was a phrase that was used by Rome, and it's the phrase, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome was famous for wanting to use their military power to create peace throughout the empire. The problem is, how did they have to create that peace? Through external military control. They guarded the people to provide peace. How does God provide peace for his people? He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus don't miss how neat this is in scripture in Roman Empire peace was forced on the people can you really ever be forced to be at peace now that's not true peace is it how does God give peace to his people he guards their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus this is the way to peace now how do we grow in prayer and praise those are things we do individually but frankly those are things we need to do with other people When you are overwhelmed with anxiety, you need people who are praying with you, and you need people who you can stand alongside and praise God with them. This is not something to tackle by yourself. This is something that is meant to be dealt with within the life of a church. We don't go through anxiety. We don't go through these overwhelming life circumstances on our own. God gives us people around us who say, let me pray for you and then stand by me while we praise God together. We are going to trust him, and we are gonna praise him because he is good, and we need people to be around us in the middle of these situations. Let me say something as well about anxiety in your life that might have been caused by trauma, or maybe biological things going on in the brain and the body that, that caused this type of anxiety. How do we think about that? When we're talking about uh, clinical depression, those types of anxiety, and we're thinking about trauma-based anxiety, it is a good gift from God that you're able to go to professionals to find healing, to provide hope, to go to people who have been trained, who are able to help you walk through these type of things. That is, don't hear me saying anything against that. We, We need those gifts, and those types of medical care are then able to drive us back to prayer and praise, not away from prayer and praise. what what i can tell you just from personal experience as someone who sees a professional counselor because of anxiety who in that process of going to professional counseling because of personal anxiety that i've dealt with my whole life and it just continues to ramp up and it's something i'm going to that counseling has not driven me away from prayer and praise it's driven me toward prayer and praise it's driven me toward god's word it's made me deal with sin in my life that need to be dealt with, and it's also made me confront some real weaknesses that that I needed to deal with in, in my life. And so when we think about dealing with those things, we're saying, God, I want to trust you. I want to praise you. I'm going to call out to you. And whatever we do, let it come back to the fact that, where do I find that? In Christ Jesus. We don't reach out to other people because we think that they provide peace. We reach out to other people because then they're able to walk with us back toward Jesus, who is able to provide perfect peace. So it begins in the heart, prayer and praise. Now look at the next verse to see how this continues to, uh, to unfold there. Verse 8, so we start in the heart, we're going to move to the mind. Verse 8, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So much of anxiety is about what happens in our minds. Anxiety is driven by what we think about. The most important conversations we have every day are the conversations we have with ourselves. Now, when we, in a couple of years, go through Philippians in a very in-depth way, we'll take time to look at each of these words, true, honorable, just, period. We'll, t- we'll take the time to do that. Right now, I just want you to see the focus here that it's about what we are thinking on. When you get down to the end of verse eight here, think about these things. The concept here is to dwell on these things, to allow them to fill up your mind. Because we realize, right, when we get in bad places in life, what does your mind get filled with? Things that just aren't true. Things that are not lovely. Things that are not from the Lord. And when your mind begins to get filled with those lies, we lose sight of the truth of the gospel. We lose sight of how good God is. The verse that my wife probably sends to people more often than any other, and I think she might even tell you this is her favorite verse in scripture, but it's Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. You keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is set on you because he trusts in you. As the people of God who are seeking to be people of peace, so much of that peace has to do with what we are thinking about, what is rolling around in our mind. God, let the things that I think about be honoring to you, which where does that track back to? What we put into our minds is often going to be what we're thinking about. We have to think about consumption. We have to think about what's coming into our mind. Is it good? Is it lovely? Is it pure? Does it set my mind on, on the things of God? And then what happens when you get those negative thoughts in your mind? What happens when you get those lies rolling around in, in your mind? No one loves me. No one cares for me. My life doesn't matter. It's, what do you do with those type of things? This is where it drives us back to that prayer and praise. It drives us back to, God, I need to get your truth into my mind. I think there's a couple of things you can really do that are important here. Number one is just to speak that out loud to someone. Thoughts that get stuck in our mind When we are just able to share with someone, hey, can I tell you something I'm struggling with? I know this is not true, but I need to just get it out, just to untangle it, to say it to somebody, and for them to be able to walk you through that, the hope of Christ. Another helpful thing to do is just to write it out. Sometimes taking that negative thought that's in your mind and having a prayer journal, and I just can't tell you the number of pages I've filled up (laughs) over over the years with this type of thing of, God, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm gonna write this out, And then I'm going to write out what I know to be true. Uh, One of our church members a couple of weeks ago sent me an example of what they do that I thought was really neat. Uh, She just takes a single piece of paper and she fills up a notebook of a three ring binder notebook with these. But on the piece of paper at the top she writes, this is what I'm struggling with and, and writes it out. Then she writes, this is what I know to be true from God's word about my identity in Christ, about what is true writes that out, and then at the bottom, writes out a prayer, and writes out next steps to, to uh, take, and then just puts that in a notebook. So when those lies come back, when those negative thoughts come back, God, I know this is true. Take me back to those promises. Take me back to what I know I believe, and, and allow me to think on those things. Allow me to dwell on those things. Where does peace start? In the heart, prayer and praise. Where is peace built? In the mind, what we think about. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, Paul says, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, this is good concern, this is good anxiety, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Third, so heart, I mean, it starts in the heart, prayer and praise, mind, what I think about, who I'm trusting, what's going on in my mind. And then third, the actions, the obedience. We find true peace when we simply do what we know to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Do what you know scripture is leading you to do. When we are living in sin, when we're not acting according to God's word, that's never true peace. That's never what God is calling us to. One of the most heartbreaking counseling sessions I've ever been a part of, not, not me going to counseling, but me providing pastoral counseling for someone, and it was not at Emmaus, so don't try to guess, but this is a completely different situation. But this gentleman came to me, and he was talking to me about how he was going to divorce his wife, And I knew, I knew, I knew that there was already another more attractive younger lady in the story, and he was going after her, and he just said, I just have such peace. Like, I prayed about it, and I have peace that this is the thing to do. And it was very easy. You know, sometimes counseling sessions are very complicated, and you just don't know what to say. But in that moment to say, I can promise you that is not the peace of God. That what we know of peace is this is I have learned from God, I have heard from him, and I'm going to go and do that. When life gets complicated and you feel overwhelmed, one of the greatest ways to pursue peace and battle anxiety is just be faithful to the Lord every day. God, in this moment of being overwhelmed, I could turn to things that are sinful. I could turn to things that are dangerous. But in this moment, I feel overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. And so what I'm going to do is seek to be faithful to you today. Which is really helpful when you have the Sermon on the Mount, right? And what does is, what is Jesus say in Matthew 6? Don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> Guess what? Tomorrow has plenty of things to worry about. We'll get to tomorrow. Today, seek first the kingdom of God. Peace starts in your heart, begins to grow in your mind, and then it's lived out when we obey, when we care for others. Some way, some of the ways we grow in peace is we just care for people around us. Uh, if we're not careful, in times of anxiety we become very selfish and closed in god just let me help help me to care for somebody around me look at the next verses 11 through 13 not that i am speaking of being in need paul says for i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Which, Philippians 4.13, probably on the top five list of most misused Bible verses of of all time here, Uh, notice the context that's going on here in Philippians 4.13, that I can face any situation that comes with the peace that God provides. How do I have that peace? In Christ Jesus, the one who gives me strength. How do we experience peace most fully when we experience the contentment that God gives? You know how not to have peace in your life? To constantly compare your life with everybody else's life? Man, that'll kill the joy and the peace really fast, won't it? We never have peace when we always want more. We'll never have peace when we spend our life trying to hold on to what we already have. All of those things will kill peace. Paul is saying to the Philippians, you want to know what true peace is? It is contentment and the one who truly gives you strength, that I trust in him. I pray to him. I praise him. I think about things. I trust him. I do what I know to do, and I just experience the contentment that God provides. Here's the fun part of that. When that begins to happen in our life, guess what? We can't keep that to ourselves, can we? It has to be shared with others. Peace with God Peace with self then leads to peace with others. Let me show you a couple of verses that have to do with this. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's so much good theology happening in Ephesians chapter two, but it's showing us the way that we are able to have peace with others is because of Jesus' death on the cross. People build walls, the gospel knocks them down. People build walls between one another, and the gospel comes in and knocks them down. Because of what Jesus has done, nothing in this world is able to ultimately divide us. The gospel overcomes all of that. I love Romans 12, 18, just the realistic nature of this. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Guess what? Some people, no matter how hard you try, simply will refuse to be at peace with you. And you've got to appreciate God's word here. So far as it depends upon you, we are called to seek that peace. We're called to pursue that. Strive for peace with everyone, Hebrews twelve fourteen says. We are called to strive for peace, to make that happen. But at the end of the day, some people just are not going to live at peace with you, but that doesn't take away our, our role in chasing after that. Look at James chapter 3, the next um, next set of verses that Actually, one other, no, yeah, James 3 is next. Let's look at James 3. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, so God's wisdom we know is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Man, I love that passage. This idea of this harvest of righteousness that comes into the world in peace by those who sow that peace into their lives. Friends, when you have peace with God and when you experience that peace in your own life, you know what you're able to do? You're able to turn around and share that peace with people around you. Someone introduced me to a phrase that I really like about about this concept. It's the phrase... Learning to be a non anxious presence for somebody else. So, if somebody is in your presence, somebody spends time around you, do you make that person more anxious or do you push that person toward peace? To be in your home, to be with you in conversation, to spend time with you at work, when someone is around you, do they experience peace? Or are they driven toward anxiety? God, work that peace within us so that when someone is around us, we are able to share that peace with them. And then God sends us out into really hard situations where we're called to be peacemakers. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter five, I think it's around verse eight or nine. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called Sons of God, children of God, when we strive to make peace with others, we are doing the work that God's children have been called to do. God, make us peacemakers. Send us out into these conflicts that we're so drawn away from. Conflict is an opportunity for the gospel to shine through. Conflicted relationship is an opportunity for the gospel to shine through as we go out to be peacemakers. Probably the best example of this in the New Testament is found in Romans chapter 14. Really, you could take 12, 13, 14, 15, the whole section, but but Romans 14 is particularly important. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, Romans 14, quick little background material to help you understand what's going on here. Romans 14 is the famous passage where Paul is talking about how those who are strong and those who are weak in the church would get along. Strong and weak are probably not the greatest translations in that situation. What it has to do with is people who have power or status, those who are powerful, those who have status or privilege or standing, versus those who are weak, who who don't have that power or status, and Paul says, don't condemn one another or judge one another for things that are not central to the gospel, learn to live in peace together. And we have to be careful sometimes. And and man, I'm guilty of this. I'm trying to grow in this area and be careful about this. Some of this is personality. Some of this is living in the South. You know, if Oklahoma really is the South or not, (laughs) which we really don't know. Uh, But this idea that sometimes our attempts to make peace are just sweeping things under the rug. Is that really peace? Now, are there times that we are called to overlook offenses? Absolutely. We're going to talk about more about that next week. We, not everything calls for a major conflict and conversation. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we sweep things under the rug that need to be dealt with, and we call it peace. And it's not really true peace. God calls us out to pursue peace and to make peace and to live at peace with one another. How do you do that? Humility, going into a conversation and saying, guess what, I know there's a huge log in my own eye. I know that our relationship is not what it should be, and I want to acknowledge, humbly acknowledge the log in my own eye, even as God seeks to bring reconciliation to our relationship. Going into that conversation saying, let's speak honestly with one another. Let's do what scripture says and speak the truth in love. So I'm, I wanna be humble, I wanna be honest, Let's get help. Let's invite somebody into this conversation, this conflict, that maybe they can help us mediate and, and walk ahead together. And man, let's have hope. Let's have hope that what God wants to do in this relationship, or in our church, or in our world in the days ahead is so much greater than we could ever imagine because of the peace that he provides. Where do we find ultimate peace? We need peace with God that comes through Jesus. Then, We have to experience that peace in our life as we pray and we praise and we think and we obey and we grow in contentment. And then guess what? When God works that peace in our life, he says, that wasn't for you. (laughs) That peace that I'm working in your life is to be shared with others. Use that peace to resolve conflicts in your life. Use that peace to point other people to Jesus because we have the promise of Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter 9 is such a good place to wrap up this morning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Then listen to these Christmas verses that we know to be true. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what do we know to be true in the next verse? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. We live in a world... Where we know a thing or two about a lack of peace in government. We we live in that world. And and we've been called, according to God's word, to pray for peace. To pray for government officials. To pray that we'll have peace so the gospel will spread. We understand that. But we also understand that human government will never be able to bring perfect peace, will it? Perfect peace comes from God through Jesus Christ. When we have faith in him. Perfect peace comes when we live lives of prayer and praise and thinking and obedience and contentment. And perfect peace is found when the people of God share that peace with one another. Emmaus, in the days ahead, what does it mean for us to be a church of love? Because the world needs love. And what does it mean for us to be a church of joy? Because people need joy. And what does it mean for us to be a people of peace? Because the world needs peace, and we know that peace is found in Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, we know that it is so easy to be overwhelmed with anxiety. God, thoughts get in our head, and they start to roll around. We begin to believe things about you, or we believe things about other people that aren't true. And yet, those lies get in our head and they take us away from focusing on you. God, so often when we have trouble finding peace in our own lives, it leads to us not having peace with other people. God, when we're not at peace within our own heart, it's going to be really hard to be at peace with others. And yet, that's what you've called us to. God, when people think about Emmaus, when they think about the families in our church, when they think about the homes in our church, God, I pray that they would think about us as a people of peace because we trust in you, because we pray together, because we praise you together, because we seek to obey you together, and because, God, we want to be people who don't just sweep everything under the rug. God, we want to be people who deal with conflict in a way that's honoring to you, with humility and honesty and hope. God, make this church family a people of peace so that we can turn around and share that peace with the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I'll be down here at the front. If you're dealing with anxiety, struggling with peace in your life, I would be honored to pray with you this morning. God bless you. Have a great day.